So Amy and I have a rhythm now of how we do life, right? We've got this figured out, but it wasn't always this way. Like back in the day, we were a mess. Like we didn't have a clue. I mean, I say we. We had some challenges. Amy says it was hard our first year. I didn't think it was hard. I thought it was interesting, but she says it was hard. I really didn't think it was hard. See, I told Amy, I told her I loved her, and I still do, right? But I told her, like, I said, I, I love you. But what I learned, even as a young guy, I learned that there's a difference between saying you love someone and doing something about loving someone, right? You, I mean, you have to have action to that. And so I thought, well, I'm a dutiful husband. So what I'm going to do, she does all the cooking with the hamburger helper because we didn't know how to cook anything, you know. So <laughs> that wasn't in my rehearsal, was it? But a tuna helper, sometimes if we really wanted to mix it up and get yummy, you know, we went with tuna helper because that's all we had in our arsenal. I had spaghetti. That's all I could make. It wasn't even that good. It was like, just put enough garlic in it and call it good, right? So anyway, I thought if Amy's going to do all this work cleaning, the least I can do is, is do the dishes, right? And so I would do the dishes every single time. And here's what I would do. I'd put up the glasses. I'd put up the plates. I'd put up the bowls and the pots and the pans. And inevitably, church, I would stop and I would look at the dishwasher and my insides would start to knot up. And I would start to get so nervous because all that was left was the Tupperware. Yeah, the Tupperware freaked me out because I knew, I knew to put up the Tupperware, you got to open the Tupperware drawer. And I hated the Tupperware drawer. It was almost like in my head, this never really happened, but I thought in my head, if I open the Tupperware drawer, it's going to go, Bleh! you know, and just like shoot out at me, like all the Tupperware. Maybe you're more organized than we were in our first year of marriage. But like, I was just afraid that Tupperware drawer was just going to like, I don't know, but it was all going to fly out at me. I almost said something inappropriate on Sunday morning about, you know, and I didn't want to say that word. So anyway, I was afraid like it was just going to shoot out at me. So here's what I would do. And I'm so ashamed to say this, but here's what I would do. I would, I would look around, I'd look around, and then I would take all the dirty dishes and I would pile them right on top of the clean Tupperware and I'd just run the dishwasher again. Now, men, here's the deal. If you do stuff and you think you're being sneaky, and you think you've got secrets, you're not as sneaky as you think you are. Just so you know, you're going to get busted. And Amy busted me. And Amy looked at me. She said, Billy Shiloh, what are you doing? And I jumped, you know. And she's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing dishes, honey. What are you doing? You know, and she's like, no, what are you? You are being so lazy and wasteful. She said I was being lazy and wasteful. And so we had a discussion about that. That's a fancy word for fight. Like, we, 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 had, a, we had a fight about the fact that I, because here's why. Let me, let me get back to the heart of the issue here. The heart of the issue is my words and my actions didn't line up. I, I, I said with my mouth, I, I love you, and yet my actions didn't say I care anything about serving you and really doing this wholeheartedly. And I, I wonder, is that how God feels with us sometimes? Because we say we love God, don't we? We say we love him. We say we love him when we sing our songs, when we talk to other Christians, when we pray. But do our lives measure up? Right? Do we live in a way that says, I, I love the word of God? Do we, do we live that way? See, all this is bringing us to our big idea today. Our big idea is this. A love for the word of God will result in a life well lived for God. Let me say it again. A love for the Word of God will result in a life well lived for God. Again, good morning, everyone. I don't think I introduced myself, but I am Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor, and it is good to see you all on this last week of our sermon series for pages. 
pages. We've been in Psalm 119 for this five-week series. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. As you're turning there, let me break out my phone app again. I've been telling you guys, if you're brand new with us, I want you to know something. I'm also brand new with us. Like, I haven't been here for very long, and so I'm trying to get to know everyone's name. And just so you understand the backstory, we did Name Tag Sunday for two or three weeks. Most people didn't like Name Tag Sunday at all. Like, people just did not care for sticking stickers on themselves with their names. So I, I downloaded this handy-dandy app where I'm taking all your pictures. Now, just so you know, this is for internal, and I'm being very serious right now, this is for internal use only. So if I take your picture, it's not going to end up on my Instagram or on my Facebook or anything like that. This is for me to learn your name. So if you have not had your picture taken by me yet, here's what I want you to do. And it happened at the men's retreat. There were guys, honestly, we'd sit down to eat, and I had guys going, um, you, haven't, you haven't taken my picture yet. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up to me in the hall, and I just want you to say, hi, my name is. Even, even if you've like, like shaken my hand like a hundred times, which hasn't happened yet, but it's going to, maybe, maybe we have, maybe we've interacted a lot, but just shake my hand, tell me your name, and I'm going to immediately pull out my phone because that is an indication to me, I need to take your picture, okay? So I'm going to take your picture, and here's what I do. I quiz myself in the evenings. Now I'm going to, here we go, admission time. This week, I was awful because I was getting ready for the men's retreat because I was there for Friday and, and Saturday, so I was awful at getting the names memorized this week. But I have shared this. I have shared this with Amy and with Kristen. So we're all three learning all your names. So if you don't have your picture yet, I'm being very serious. Like, I, I want to know you. And that starts with knowing your name, right? I want to know you. I want to know your story. That's why we're going to visit your neighborhood groups. So make sure you introduce yourself. So this Psalm 119, it's the largest psalm in the Bible, and it's really a Hebrew primer is what it is. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each eight-verse section is a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And what we see, we're going to be in Psalm uh, 119, 97 through 104 today. We're looking at the Hebrew letter Mem, the Hebrew letter Mem. Now, this is the symbol for water in Hebrew, which is beautiful. I could do a whole sermon series just on this letter. What I want you to do is look at the left side of the letter. On the left side, do you see how it's got an open notch down there and even how it kind of bends in an open way? You see, that kind of reminds us of streams and rivers and, and creeks. It's like a body of water that goes into another bigger body of water. And then on the right-hand side, it kind of looks like our D almost is closed like this. That represents larger bodies of waters like lakes and oceans. For us, when we see the letter Mem, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see the water from the Word of God that's supposed to be exploding out of our lives, bringing life. That's what we should see. So what I want to do is I want to read the whole context this morning, verse 97 through 104, and then we're going to look at just two ways. We're ending this series talking about just two ways to apply this truth to our lives. But first, 97 through 104 says this. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it's ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your rewards to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate 
every false way. So the psalmist is addressing God in a way that says, God, I want to talk to you about the impact of your word in my life. And look how he starts. He says, oh, I love your law. I meditate on it all day. Do you see? I, I love, this is different. See, the past four weeks, I've talked a lot about obedience, haven't I? I've talked a lot about faith. I've talked a lot about those two topics, but this is deeper. This is the psalmist saying, I love your word. Do you hear how intimate that is? I, lo I love your word so much, God, that I'm thinking about it all day long. I'm thinking about it all day long. Now, I want you to think about the reality of the place of God's word in your life. Do you love the word of God? Which is such a loaded question on Sunday morning, isn't it? Like I ask you on Sunday morning and the response is, well, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. You know, that's, the, that's kind of the response. You're like, I know what I'm supposed to say, but do we? Do we truly love the Word of God to the big idea where love for the Word of God will result in a life well lived for God? Is that where we are? I, I hope that's where we are. If not, what I want to do is I want to look at two ways that the psalmist shows us. He says there's two reasons that he loves the Word of God. And if there's two reasons he loves the Word of God, and it's impacted him in a way to where he loves the word and thinks about it all day long, then I think there's application for us where if we love it, if we love it, we're going to also think about it. So first, we're going to see that God's word is the way of wisdom. God's word is the way of wisdom. Look at verse 98 and 100 again. Your commandment makes me wiser. Now, listen, he's going to point out three groups right here. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it's ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. And I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. So the psalmist declares that God's word is a way of wisdom. Before I get into those three groups, though, we ought to stop and talk about what wisdom is, shouldn't we? Because wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge, those are different things. Knowledge is knowing something. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. I can, I can know something and have no idea what it's supposed to mean. I can know, I actually started thinking about this this week, and I'm like, what would be an example of something I know? And so immediately I kind of go to math. Like, there's a lot of math. I don't know what to do with it, but I kind of know it. So, like, I know y equals mx plus b. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. If you're in eighth or ninth grade in Algebra 1, if you're a mathematician, you probably know what y equals mx plus b means. I don't know what it means. I really don't. It's just one of those formulas that's stuck in my brain, but I have no idea how to apply it to my life. None. Not one single idea. Gabe tried to explain it to me. He's in ninth grade. He's like, oh, well, dad, here's what that means. I'm like, dude, I don't even want to know. I got this far. I don't want to know at this point. Like, I really no. We can know that April the 9th, 1865, April the 9th, 1865, General Lee came in with the Confederate Army, and all of a sudden, he was surrounded on all sides by the Union Army. For four hours, there was fighting, and General Lee could see there was no hope. So he rode and met General Grant at the Appomattox Courthouse and signed the end of the Civil War. April 9th, 1865, Civil War ended. We can know that fact, right? We can have the knowledge, but do we have wisdom? Did we as a nation learn the lessons of a nation divided? Or are we still trying to figure that one out? Here's what Scripture says. Scripture says in Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So let's be real. If you're going to have wisdom, it starts with knowledge of the Bible. 
you have to start with daily getting into the Word of God, knowing what the Word of God says. When you know what it says, then you can start on that path to wisdom. And the first group that the psalmist talks about is enemies. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to learn the Word of God so I can whoop those around me. Because I got that person at work. I got that person in my family. got that person at school. Like, I'm going to annihilate all of them because I'm going to have wisdom. Some, some are like that. Like, you just start thinking, this is going to be my weapon. I'm going to bash people with my Bible. And I'm just going to tell you, you need to keep reading. Because if you keep reading your Word, you're going to get to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let me be crystal clear. That person you're having the battle with right now, because you won't say sorry, you won't forgive, your battle's not against them. That's not where the fight is. Here's what Scripture says. It says, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers and over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Your enemy's the devil. Your enemy is Satan, and he is on the prowl right now wanting to kill and destroy. He wants to rip apart your marriages. He wants to rip apart your families. He wants to rip apart your friendships. He wants to rip apart your companies. That's what he's in the, in the business of doing. And yet, you're not helpless. We know that, right? Because you can have wisdom. And we see that example through Jesus Christ, don't we? We see when Jesus started his earthly ministry, how did he start it? He started it with 40 days of fasting and prayer, which the Bible says at the end of 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. Some of the stuff you're going to read in the Bible and you're going to shake your head and you're going to go, I, I could have guessed, like 40 days of fasting, you're going to be hungry. But through that 40-day process, Satan came to him again and again and again, trying to tempt Jesus, trying to get Jesus to sin. And every single time, how did Jesus Christ respond? with Scripture, with the Word of God. Every single time he responded with the Word of God. The Word of God is where you get your wisdom. That's how you battle against the enemy. The psalmist also said it makes us wiser than our teachers. This goes back to information versus wisdom. See, one of the things we've done in this series to try to help with even information is at the very beginning of this series, we gave you a devotion guide. And many of you have been working through that devotion guide. Some of you did the online version where they'll send it to your inbox every single day, right? And you work through that. I just want you to know there have been thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the Woodside family who responded and said, I love this. We talk about it on Sunday. And then all throughout the week, I get to think about every single day what we heard on Sunday. Like this was so helpful. So... I want you to know with the next sermon series, the leadership at Woodside heard you. We listened, right? And so with this next sermon series, there'll be another devotional guide. There's a team of pastors who's writing those devotions so that every single day you can work through that process. We also see from verse 100, God's word makes us wiser than those older than us. Wiser than those older than us. You know, I, I remember starting out my teaching career uh, right out of college, I became an elementary school teacher. And um, I, I went in thinking, I'm ready to learn those kids something. You know, I'm ready. Because they, they taught me good down at that college place. You know, they, ta they taught me. And I'm ready to teach these kids about reading and writing and arithmetic and all that. You know, I'm just, I'm ready. And I went in so bright-eyed and so eager. And I remember some of the more tenured teachers, they kind of looked at me and they just kind of did this. You know, they just smiled. And it was that look that said, bless your heart which in the South means something different. Like, so, 
You just need to know. Like, so if, if someone sneezes here and someone says, bless you, like, that's a kind thing to say. In the South, if someone says, oh, bless your heart, they don't mean it kind, just so you know. It's this weird Southern thing where people put on a smile and they say, bless your heart. They mean, you're dumb. Like, you are so dumb. Like, that's what they mean. And so they were looking at me with that look. I knew that look. And so they looked at me and shook their head, kind of like, well, wait till you get a few years. Because what happens when you go down that life of hard knocks, you learn some things, don't you, church? You learn some things once you go through the trials of life. You gain, hopefully, you gain some wisdom as you get a little bit older. But here's what Scripture says, young people. It says that through the Word of God, you can gain wisdom that transcends your years. That's why you're always going to hear me talk about young people. And I'm going to look at, I'm going to look at our young adults. I'm going to look at our teens. And I'm going to tell you, you are not the future of the church. Don't you ever listen to that. You're the church now. You're part of the church right now. And through the Word of God, you can gain wisdom that's going to transcend your years. We want wisdom, don't we? We're not just chasing knowledge. We're chasing wisdom. Now, for some of you, that's not going to surprise you, but back in Tucson, Arizona, I rode a scooter. Not like, not like Dumb and Dumber scooter, but like a, I, it was a man scooter. It's a big red one with a power button, just like my Prius has, you know, because it could go fast. But before my red one, I had this blue one. Look at this blue one. And I had a speed racer helmet because it made me tough. Look at that. Look how tough I look. That is so tough. Here's the thing. How many of you, you ride on the highway sometimes on two wheels? Raise your hand. Like you've got motorcycles. And so, okay. Some, some of you. So for those of you, isn't it true, like, you, you got to read that book and know the rules of the road and pass the test to get the endorsement on your license. You can have the knowledge, but you better have the wisdom to know what to do with it. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to see a pothole in the road. There will be a rock hit you right in the face. That's why you need that speed racer thing. That speed racer thing actually went away to a full helmet because I got hit in the, oh, see, just like that. It hurts. Like, you get hit in the face a few times with it or like a big, June bug, you know, hit you in the face. It's no good, right? It's no good at all. And, and so, but you have to learn. You have to learn when someone pulls out in front of you what to do, how to respond wisely. Otherwise, it gets real dangerous real fast. There's a difference in knowledge and wisdom. If you really think about it, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God, isn't he? Jesus Christ is the application of the knowledge of God. Here's what I mean by that. You can read every book in my library, every book in Pastor Doug's library, every book in Pastor Steve's library. You can read all those theology books and have a lot of knowledge, but if you don't have faith in Jesus, you're not even starting to get ready for wisdom yet. It all begins with faith in Jesus. And so if, if you've been going to church for a little bit, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to know today you can fix that. Today you can fix that, and you can start on the path of wisdom. So God's Word is the way of wisdom. It's also, we're going to see, the way of worship. The way of worship. Look at verse 101 through 104. The psalmist says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, this fires me up because the psalmist says, let me talk to you about how, God, your word drives me to this place of worship. Now, worship is the, the songs we sing. That, that, that is worship. There is something awesome. I'm going to tell you right now, at the men's retreat, I had the opportunity to emcee uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, and I was standing backstage 
And Kip was on stage leading along with a couple other worship leaders. And there was a point where they stepped away from the microphone and they stopped playing instruments. And it was just 300 voices from men all at once going for it. And it was powerful. Worship does involve music often, but not always. You see, worship is our response to God, to His glory and His greatness and His working. And so what the Word of God is telling us here is that your Word drives me in my life to a place of worship. And we see that because look what He says. He says, hey, we're going to hold back our feet from every evil way. I'm not going to embrace sin. I'm going to embrace you. Now, I'm, I hate that this series is ending. I wish the series was so much longer because in verse 105, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of you live in the country? Okay. All right, then. Everyone else, you probably visited them in the country before. When you go to the country... Like, it's different than the city. You go in the country at night, you go outside, you're going to take a flashlight, you're going to take your phone to light, you're going to take a lamp, you're taking something. Like in Arizona, when the clouds are out and there's no moon, like it's dark, you better take a flashlight or you're going to step into the javelina pigs or you're going to step onto a big batch of scorpions. In my mind, there were big batches of scorpions. I never saw them, but I knew they were there, right? In Oklahoma, you just know you're going to step on rattlesnakes or you're going to step on a possum. You're going to step on something. Here, I don't know if there's possums, but there's, there's no rattlesnakes. There's skunks. Like, you might step on a skunk. You might step on something awful. And so you take, you take a light to light your path. That's what the Word of God is for us. We keep the Word of God active in our lives so that we can see a, a step in front of us. We want to make sure we're not stepping into an, a path of evil. We don't want a path of evil. We don't want a path of sin. And when your life is worship, you're going to say, Lord, I don't want to go that direction. Next we see in verse 103, it says God's word is going to satisfy us. It's going, and he starts talking about sweeter than honey right here. Now, church, about a month and a week ago, I'm not counting or anything, but about a month and a week ago, I went to you and I said, I've got to cut out the sugar. Some of you guys remember that. I cut out the sugar. I'm talking no bread, no sugar, no, like I cut it out. But there was this one time, Mario, good old Mario, he came with cannolis. Yeah. Like you can't, when you got, when you got a big cannoli looking at you, you can't not eat that thing. You can't not, when Mario brings you the cannoli, you got it, you, got, you munch it up. Like that's what you got to do. You munch up the cannoli, but that, there's just that one time. The rest of that though, no sugar for me. A cannoli is a lot of sugar. There's <laughs> a whole bunch of sugar. I can fill it in my veins. But anyway, besides that, I cut out the sugar. And here's what I noticed. Those of you that already have cleaned up your diet, you know this. When you start to eat fruit, natural sugars, oh my goodness, like there's flavor in fruit. I didn't even realize. Like strawberries, strawberries like explode. There's so much flavor. And I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't even started to test honey. I can't yet. Like it's just, I can't imagine how crazy sweet honey would be. And yet, do you see what the psalmist says? The psalmist says, God, your word, your word's sweeter than that to me. See, the psalmist didn't have to get off corn syrup. He's already off corn syrup. No refined sugar for him. All he had was the fruit and, and honey. And he's saying, this is sweeter than the sweetest thing imaginable on this planet. I cannot imagine anything sweeter than your holy word. It reminds me a lot of something King David said in Psalm 34, 8. He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How do you do that, though? 
how do you taste and see that the Lord is good? And John Piper, he's a famous pastor, and one of his most famous quotes, he says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. God's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. How do you taste and see the Lord is good? You taste and see the Lord is good because when you consume His Word and you're seeing Him glorified, all of a sudden there becomes a spot in your life where you're saying, Lord, more and more and more, this is what I want. I want to see you honored and glorified more than I want anything else in my life. That's what I want. That's what I'm craving. I want it more than I want anything on this planet. And then Scripture says, hate. God's Word is going to help us to hate sin in verse 104. Do you see that? Hate. Hate's, hate's a mean word, isn't it? It's an, it's, an, it's an aggressive word. It's a word that means personal commitment. You can't just have a feeling of hate. Hate involves a personal commitment. It, it's proactive in nature. It's Oklahoma versus Texas, right? That's what it is. You guys don't understand that. So it's Michigan versus Ohio State. I had to learn that one. Like, I get here, and I learned, like, because I thought it was a joke, Michigan versus Ohio. It's not a joke for some people. Like, for some people, Michigan versus Ohio State is a very, very real thing. And I learned that Ohio State, like, they dislike the whole state of Michigan. They got songs that sing it. Like, they'll tell you all about it, how they really don't care about the whole state of Michigan. There is a personal commitment here. We are supposed to personally be committed to hating sin. And that's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say, I hate sin. So here's a different question. Do you hate your sin? Do you hate your own sin? Because I think that sometimes what we do is we want to look at everybody else's sin and what they struggle with, and we want to throw the stones and cast the stones at them. And I think looking in the mirror sometimes at the sin I struggle with, that's a lot harder to do. Do you hate your own sin? And if not, how's your time in the Word of God? Because I think what happens is as your love for one thing increases, the other's going to decrease. You, you see that in other areas of your life, don't you? Back in the day before we were married, I hung out with my friends all the time. Loved hanging out with my friends. We'd hang out till 2 in the morning playing the Madden. You know, loved to play the Madden. We would go rock climbing. We would go play wiffle ball. I think y'all call it wiffle ball. Is it the little white ball that when you throw it, you know, it'll make the spin and you can curve it funny and you duct tape the bat so you can really whack it. Blank faces. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> backyard football. We play backyard football. Backyard football's not a joke. Guys will say, like, it's two-hand touch. That's a lie. Like, it's never two-hand touch. Someone is going to get planted in the ground. You know, and so I was talking to Kip about this, and I was like, Kip, you know, do people play backyard football here? And he perked up. He's like, do you know about the turkey bowl? And I said, turkey bowl? Yeah, you see these guys here. These guys here, after Thanksgiving, they all got together. I don't know if it was on the same day or not, but for some backyard football. And the guy in the middle is Joe. You see him a lot of times. He'll be up here playing bass, big red beard. He's a happy fella. Kip is like, Joe showed up in full-out Rocky gear. Like, he had on the sweatband and the crazy-looking sweats. And he's like, but Joe, man, he was going to hurt someone because he was running through just clocking people as he stiff-arming them and stuff. He's like, but my, you know, my son was there, Declan was there. He's like, it was one of his favorite days of his life. You know, if he could go back and relive any day of his life, he was like, this was the day. You know, this was, I'll tell you what, I was not tempted and will not be tempted this year after more than 20 years of marriage to say, I think... I think I should gear up. I think this is a great idea. I think I should just go take on Joe. You know, this is, this is a great plan. No, here's what happens. 
as, as one area of your life increases, the other area is, is going to increase. It just happens. And as our love for the Word of God increases, our taste for sin should decrease. And if it's not, there's something wrong that's going on in life, and we need to, to recalibrate just a little bit. We've got to recalibrate. We've got to retool. Because we want to go to that place that Paul talks about in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, it doesn't happen overnight, though. It doesn't happen overnight. This one take consistency. You can't go and listen to one sermon by Pastor Billy and say, no, I'm good. It's all good and it's all God's. I'm, I'm ready to roll. You can't go to one retreat or one mission trip and we're ready. There's a book called Walking, Walking with the Rabbi. And in this book, it tells a story about Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva was tending his sheep. He was watching his flock when he noticed this little stream, and he followed this little stream, and as he followed the little stream, he watches the water just very slowly trickled over the edge of this cliff. So he stood up at the edge of the cliff, and he, he looked over the edge of the cliff just to see where it's going, and it was all falling on this boulder. And what he noticed was this huge carving right in the middle of the boulder from the water dripping over centuries. And here's what he said. He said, if this water can do this to this stone. What can the living water do to my heart of flesh? The same is true for us. You know, if you took a bucket of water and threw onto a rock one time, it's going to get wet. That's about all it's going to do. It's that consistency. Church, you need the consistency of the Word of God in your life. Every single day, drop after drop do, it leads you to a place of wisdom. And when you do, it leads you to a place of worship. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you don't have that wisdom yet. You may have read some books, you may have listened to some leaders, but you don't, you don't have wisdom yet. You, you don't have worship in your life yet. But today is a day that worship can begin. Church, we bow your heads with me. I know that some of you, as we've been going through this series, it stirred in you just a little bit that you need to regain that hunger for the Word of God, that your study in His Holy Word needs to become more intentional. It needs to become something that happens every single day in your life, not just sporadically. And you're pretty excited about the potential of what that's going to do. What I want to do is I just want to pray over you to encourage you. So if that's you, if you would say, you know, I know I haven't been as consistent as I need to in studying the Word of God. I want to get to that place where it's like honey to me, where I'm craving the reading of God's Word more than anything else. I'm not there right now, but I know I want to work toward that. If that's you on the count of three, just put your hands straight up. One, two, three, hands straight up. Yeah, Holy Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you've invited us to this place. We know that we're not here on accident. You've invited us to this place. 
So God, I pray for these brothers and sisters in Christ, for these men and women all over the room who just raised their hand. Lord, we don't want to come to church on Sunday only and open your Bible and then trust that to be enough nourishment for the week because it's not. Lord, we want to crave you with every fiber of our being. So I pray for these men and women just to be burdened by your Holy Spirit tonight before they go to bed. Just, I want to open your word. And maybe they pull out that Bible app and open the devotion. Maybe they've got a Bible on the shelf that's been collecting dust, but I pray that they open it up. And they word, and as they read that wisdom is gained, that they get new discernment from your Holy Spirit of the impact of your calling to us. That as we read it, we say, teach me, God. Teach me more about who you are. Teach me more about the calling that you put onto my life. How am I supposed to change to align my life with yours? God, don't let us be satisfied closing the door on this sermon series and moving on. Continue to stir us. Lord, I pray for these people to be burdened to make sure that they're in groups where they can be accountable to this. Because it can be hard. Life gets busy. Lord, you are life. You're at the center of everything that we do. So before, before we start our day, before we end our day, in the middle of the day, let your ways be on the forefront of our minds. One more group I want to talk to you. I know there's people in here that you've never placed your faith in Jesus. You've learned things from the Bible. You've heard sermons, but you've never stopped and said, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe. I want you to know truth today. Truth is that God loves you. Right here, right now, He loves you. Not if you take a shower, He loves you. Not if you quit cussing, He loves you. He loves you right now. He loves you. Not if you straighten up a flat. He loves you. The problem is, is we are eternally separated from our Heavenly Father because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You and I have sinned. We are not perfect. We have missed the mark. That's why Jesus Christ came. He did what you and I can't do. He lived the perfect and sinless life. There was no sin, no stain in Jesus. And He went to the cross willingly to pay the price of the sins of the entire world. I think more painful than the nails must have been the shame as the Father turned from him. Jesus was placed into a tomb and he stayed there all of Friday, all of Saturday, and on the third day. On the third day, I want you to know that he rose. He rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that in that space you are rescued. In that place you are saved. Don't you leave here without embracing this opportunity. So if that's you and you're saying, I've never placed my faith in that truth. I've never said, Jesus, I'm slamming on the brakes today. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. But today's my day. I know you've been inviting me my whole life to this moment, this time, this place. If that's you on the count of three, I want your hand straight up today. One, two, three. Hand straight up if that's you. Yes, sir, I see you. God bless you. At the back, God bless you. I see you. I want you guys to make eye contact with me, both of you guys, just for a moment. Make eye contact with me. I want you to know raising your hand doesn't make you right with God. Praying a prayer doesn't make you right with God. It's your faith that makes you right with God. And when 
you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your name, the Bible says, is written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing can take you out of the Lamb's book of life. He holds you in the palm of his hand. Nothing can snatch you from the palm of his hand, Scripture says. In that moment, you're washed as white as snow. The old is gone, the new has come. You're called to turn from the sin and embrace a new kind of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We thank you for the work that was completed on the cross. And we thank you for the truth that you will continue to work. Lord, we love you. We want to align our ways with yours. We want to be faithful to the truth that you've called us to. Continue to give us a hunger and a desire to be a better reflection of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can you stand as we sing this morning?